cutting edge revolutionary technology out there, uh, specifically narrow and wide web printers. A myth right now is that really high quality print is gonna be some kind of a litho. Yeah, I love this show, man. So we have a lot of new products. How kids have a career path, tremendous opportunities for them to grow through their career path. To me, it's a game changer. Welcome to Ink and Updates, your touch point for the flexographic industry. Stay informed about industry news and advertise your business or service to the community. Well, welcome back to Ink and Updates, the podcast brought to you by Interactive Inks and Coatings. I am Craig Tamarella, and right now I am closing out day two of the Label Expo here in Chicago with... Actually, I'll let you guys go ahead and tell me about it. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourselves, your background, and your company? Yeah, so my name is Bobby Furr. I'm with Detwaller Corporation. Been in the business about 35 years, pretty much technical sales. Dan and I are working together today because he's an analytics expert, and I'm a doctorate expert, and we thought combining the two together give you some good ideas about what we see in the field. All right, so um, a little bit about your products and your, your um, kind of your main go-to. Let's start with Analogs. Analogs Rolls are a new product line for Dotwaller. We're representing Zecker Analogs Rolls, which is a premier Analogs Roll manufacturer in Europe. They make a fine product, very competitive, and uh, we've got some alternatives for domestic suppliers and domestic printers to possibly make their process more efficient and optimize the print quality. All right, so how do, uh, if we're going to talk about analogs and how they correlate with the ink systems and the doctor blades assemblies, when you guys walk into a customer, right, and you're going to, let's say it's a new customer for the both of you, what kind of things do you look at, what kind of variables do you take, do you consider to make the best recommendation for them and their processes? Yeah, so this is kind of a unique setup here. we got an ink expert, uh, an analogs expert, a doctor blade expert. So here's kind of the three things we look for, okay? Uh, in order to make a system work, there's three things that come in contact with each other. The doctor blade, the analyzer roll, and the ink. And if one of those is off, then it can just mess the whole print up and, you know, cause all kind of problems, downtime, things of this nature. Sure. So so let's start out with doctor blades, okay? Let's, let me go into the doctor blade first, then we'll go over to Dan, then we can go to the ink guy. Okay? So from a doctor blade perspective, the first thing we do is we want to find out, are you printing line work, solid work? Are you printing process, vignettes? What are you doing? Because really that determines what kind of doctor blade tip you want to use. You know, you don't have a universal tip per se to cover all gamuts and spectrums of printing. Same thing goes for coatings, coatings and adhesives, okay? For coatings and adhesives, same thing with doctor blade. You can't use one doctor blade fits all with coatings and adhesives, white inks with titanium dioxide. It'll wear a doctor blade out in heartbeat. So we have to know the specifics. So again, the three components, the, the analogs, the doctor blades, and the ink. There's questions that we ask, you know, so that we could specify a specific doctor blade unique to the printing that you're doing. All right, so let's say you choose a doctor blade. If Actually, maybe it'd be a good idea to just set up a job for a second. Let's say we're doing we're doing water-based four-color processing. High line, uh, maybe 1.2 to 1.8 BCM analogs. Are we using metal doctor blades? Are we using plastic doctor blades? Which one do you recommend and why? Great question. Here's the analogy I typically use when I'm in front of an audience. You know, they'll say, "Hey, we're printing process, four-color process, water-based ink, high-line screen analog rolls." I'm getting dot gain. It's just, it's just not the print's dirty. What am I doing wrong? Well, here's a good analogy. You know, when you go to Dollar General and you buy a razor, and you go, you go to shave your face. Well, when you buy that dollar razor, it really works great because those razor blades are really sharp, man. But after after about two or three days, that, that dollar razor you bought at Dollar General, it gets really dull. 
sure. it don't shave good, you got the stubble on your face. Well, the same thing happens with the process print, the four-color process on water raised ink. What you want to do is you don't want to get into that predicament where the blade's fat and it's not allowing the ink to wipe clean. So what you do is you come in with like a like a bevel doctor blade with a fine tip. You get a real clean wipe at the beginning of the print, in the middle of the print, and at the end of the print run. So you have no color variation throughout the run and your print's clean all the way throughout. Everything's great. That's the way it works. Sure. All right, so from a doc, from an analog's perspective, we're, we're running a four-color process. What do you look at when you're, you're walking into a company? What are, your, what are your perspective on kind of your first questions to a customer and their main processes? First question is, who is your ink supplier and who's your contact? <laughs> because right. I want to work with that supplier to make the right engraving specification recommendations okay. so that we maintain adequate solid ink density, we're matching Pantone colors, and just like Bobby said, from process work down through solid work, line work, coatings, white ink, we, we recommend the right engraving specifications. And it's not just my job as an analog control supplier, it's a collective effort including the ink supplier who formulates the ink. You know, sure, I, I don't want to come in and recommend a volume that's too low so they don't get solid ink density. Right. Uh, I don't want to put your product in jeopardy. I want to put the customer in a possession to succeed right. uh, the first time. You know, there's no trial and error. With my experience and your experience as an ink supplier and Bobby's experience as a doctor blade supplier, we can put together the, the right combination Absolutely. up front so that they get the right results from the start to the finish. So let's talk a little bit about engravings. What are the kind of different types types and degrees and uh, what would you recommend to your general, let's say spot colors, high, high BCM uh, spot colors? And then maybe we come in at, uh, what would you recommend for the engraving for high line process work, something like that? Okay. You started off correctly before when you talked about a volume range. Because right. what an analog's role is and what it does is volume. And what that means is how much ink film thickness gets transferred to the print plates and then it gets split to the substrate. So the most important specification of an analog roll is the volume. It's sure. where you should start, and it's not where you end, but it's the most critical factor in flexo printing. If you have too much, as Bobby said, you print dirty. If you don't have enough, you don't get color, or you don't get density. So volume is where we start. Next is what you just mentioned, cell shape. And there are alternatives. Uh, historically, the 60 degree hex has been a, an answer to a lot of questions through the development of analog rolls from Mechanical engravings, 45 degrees to 60 hex, it was a dramatic advancement. However, today with bitmap technology, laser manufacturers are able to produce virtually any cell shape. Uh, in fact, with bitmap technology, they can produce laser engraved gravure cylinders. Right. Uh, so it's best to take advantage of the experience of the analog troll supplier, the ink supplier, and maybe the docker blade supplier, because I know Bobby's a former analog troll person himself. Collectively, find out what the best cell shape is. The 60 works, however today there are alternatives. The extended hex, the step hex, some channel engravings lend themselves well to both process work as well as combination work, line work, and solid coverage. So that's number two, volume and then cell shape. Volume and cell shape, absolutely. So from an ink, in an ink text perspective, I always recommend to my customers, you know, especially if they're blending in-house, we want them to have the strongest inks possible to hit the highest amount of the Pantone book as possible, we're talking about spot colors, with the lowest BCM volume, so you can get the highest line print and the better quality print. Generally speaking, and I, you know, I wish uh, it would happen more often, but generally speaking, I don't get to have the opportunity to talk to the analogs guy before you know, we're doing all those things. So I get from a customer, I get, well, we're, we're printing with an 800 line, or oh, we're putting with a 550 line. Generally speaking, they don't even know what BCM volume is yeah. for the most part. Again, highest 
highest strength VCM volume printing ink possible, so wide range of opportunity there. Okay, and I'm going to cut you off there because you made a mistake. Uh, okay. And as an ink supplier, it's critical that you understand volume and not cell count. Because in today's engraving world, uh, for example, an 800 cell count, historically, maybe max volume of 2 BCM once well, upon a time. Well, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. My point is, my, our customers guys, are calling me You guys are going to fight over there, are you? No. You're going to have to separate. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> no, that's my point. I'm saying our customers are call us and they say, hey, I'm printing with an 800 line, right? That doesn't mean anything to me. I need to know the BCM volume, right? Because when I'm trying to, when I'm trying to match spot colors... Right, so I think you just maybe misunderstood the kind of the point I was trying to make. I understand, you know, the the volume is very important. It's critical to us as an ink tech for us to hit densities, to hit our colors, to, to make sure that they're printing the job properly. For us to know the BCM volume, and it's an educational part on our, our part to try and get printers to understand what that means. Because they'll call us up and they'll be like, "Hey, uh, I need a, I need an ink. I'm printing with 550 line analogs," and I say, "Okay, and you know." Right. <laughs> I need a little bit more yeah. info on that. Yep. And, you know what I mean? Yep. And 550-800 doesn't matter which example. If they're a conservative, historically shallow engraving customer or printer, that 550 could be a two and a half or a three volume. Whereas sure. today's engraving charts, they could go to six or seven BCM with that 550 cell count. And it sounds extreme, but they are good engravings that work. So. Yeah, so do you, with those deep engravings, let's talk about that a little bit. Do you have any problems with flow in and out of the inks or uh, inks clogging those analogs a little bit more often than those um, higher lines that not are so not such a deep engraving? Very good point. Historically, there's been an idea of depth to opening ratio that at the time it was developed, it was absolutely true. Um, the problem is things have changed. Times have changed. The measurement capability has changed in the analogs roll industry. Those numbers originally 23 to 33%. They were done with a Gravier microscope. It's a very subjective, relatively inaccurate measurement process compared to what we do today. So they weren't wrong, uh, but the idea was if you stayed in the center optimum, you stood the best chance of reproducing a roll accurately and consistently. Now, measurement technology has changed with interferometric measurement, which we use to set up and manufacture analog rolls and do QC work, but the laser technology has changed. It's not old CO2 engraving technology. A lot of the numbers from the old CO2 charts still show up on today's sure, contemporary yeah. charts. And yeah. it's very misleading. There's a lot of numbers there. Um, my personal feeling is that those charts are for laser engravers. They're not for printers. Uh, there's just too many numbers there. It gets very confusing. Well, yeah, I mean, for the, for the guy on press, I mean, he just wants to, you know, he just wants to get the job out, right? So we need to make it simple for them. Exactly. So that the idea that an engraving cannot be too shallow, cannot be too deep, still is true today. It's just the the range has shifted. And, and in reality, trust me as a laser engraving expert or an analogical supplier to tell you what that cell count should be for that respective volume. Um, it'd be like your customer coming to you and saying, "Hey, we want this reflex blue, but here's how we want you to make it." Right. That's a big mistake. They're they're not chemists. Yeah, you know, right. They're printers. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So not to just go jump back to plates for a minute. Did you touch on your differences between an enclosed octoblade system and a pan system? I know, I know it seems elementary, but uh, what do you think some of the benefits are for high-line process work and enclosed octoblade systems? Well, the, the, it's a good question. The, the reason, just to kind of go back in the day, the reason they developed enclosed chamber octoblade systems really was in the solvent-based realm of things, okay, now I'm not gonna get sidetracked, but the reason they did that was the environmental issues, all these solvents were being emitted in the air. Sure. And OSHA came in and said, hey man, these people's gonna die, you know, their hair's gonna fall out because they're breathing all these solvents. 
So, that, so we've got to contain this, so they develop these enclosed docker bay chambers. Now what happened is we progressed into the, in the uh, with printing and whatnot, into the water-based realm and the UV realm. We found out that in certain aspects of that printing, we could put enclosed chamber docker bays on it and print better too. Sure. The reason for that is this. With an enclosed chamber docker bay system and pumping ink into a chamber, it allows the ink, whether it be water, UV, solid, what have you, to re-wet itself. And so when you re-wet the ink and it passes through the plate, you eliminate things like ghosting and you just get a, a really unique linear film of ink transferred from the docker bay to the plate. And bingo, we've got beautiful printing. The difference between a single bladed system and a chamber docker bladed system is you get a you eliminate ghosting with a chamber docker bladed system better than you do with a, with a single bladed system. And in wide web, it's more beneficial because of ink waste and cost and things of that nature. Sure, I've, I've noticed that they've been able to hit higher press speeds when I go to and change docker blades, and we're doing uh, we're pumping into those. Generally speaking, we're getting a nice better coverage on both ends all the way across the web, and we're printing 800 to 1,000 feet a minute. And with the latest ink technologies, actually, the low-maintenance vehicles have came out. Because, you know, when you put a conventional ink system and you're pumping it up, let's say a central press or something like that, and you're pumping it up to those higher decks, you're going to end up dealing with a lot of foaming issues, potentially, and, uh, you know, drying issues and things like that. So with water-based inks, the low-maintenance vehicles started coming out about, I don't know, eight, 8 to 10 years ago, I guess it was. And now you could basically run your printing inks, pump it up to the higher dock decks without the use of maintenance additives and defoams and things like that. So, you know, from our point of view, honestly, I love the enclosed dock blades. There's also higher press speeds, better printing ink technologies come out of it. It's forced us to develop better printing inks to, to solve some of the water-based taking over solvent industry. You know, a lot of our new business growing is the solvents, as you're talking about the EPA, retrofitting their building, retrofitting their pressers to do solvent. They don't want to do that anymore. They don't want to deal with the EPA. They don't want to register it. So they call us and they say, hey, can we do these type of quality products with water-based inks instead? And, that, you know, like you said, those machines were made for solvent. So right. it's forced us to produce better ink systems to try to acquire that type of product. Well, I, I, want, to, I want to follow up on, on something you just, just talked about. It's really, really important. Sure, go ahead. So so with chambered Dr. Bates systems, okay, uh, a lot of times when people when people move from single blade to chamber docker bait systems, they they don't understand the the full spectrum of what's going on there, and they start pointing fingers at problems they have because they don't understand why things are happening. Let's start with a central impression press. On a central impression press, whether it be a, a eight collar or a ten collar, sometimes they can't digest why the blades are doing what they're doing. And if you'll notice. 80% of the time when you go into a press room, you go into a CI press, and you got chambered doctor bait systems on that CI press. On the back sides of the press, like decks five through eight, you always see this ink, and we what we call teardrops or icicles, whatever you want to call it, they're just dripping down in the pan. It's a hell of a mess. Mm -hmm. But if you look at decks one through four, it's not like that. People go, I don't understand. So they start messing with their pressures and and they get all funky things going on, whether it be things with the print, scoring their analyzer rolls, all kind of things, because they don't understand why it is what it is. Well, here's what it is. When you have a CI press, you have a chambered doctor blade system. On one side of the CI press, the doctor blades are flip-flopped. What that means is, on decks one through four, the metering blade is on the bottom, the containment blade is on the top. Sure. So when that ink is metered and it transfers to the plate, it circles back around. You always have additional ink residue from the analyzer. It goes back up, it sits on top of the containment plate, it kind of rides on the blade, 
sometimes it dissipates or it just you don't really see it. But on the flip side, when you get over to decks five through eight, the blades are flip-flop. And your containment blade is on the top, your metering blade's on the bottom, okay? So when that ink is pumped in, and it comes around and it hits that bottom blade, it ain't got nowhere to go. So right. it falls down into the pan, okay? That's why it's important that uh, some people say, wait, should we use steel or plastic or why do we do that? Many printers in today's business will use a, a thin plastic mylar blade. They'll make it a little bit wider on the containment side of the press. And the reason they do that, when they set their impression, they want that blade to bend over and act like a check valve. So when you get on decks five through eight, when that ink whips around, it goes in, but it don't come out. And if you do that, the front side of the press will look just like the black side of the press. And you know how much, you know, the biggest expense in a press room, in many cases, is the ink anyway. If you can, if you can educate a customer like that and show him why you do that, it's going to save you a substantial amount of money and a lot of scoring and all kind of other things. And Dan can touch on that. A lot of cleanup time too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Well, plus, plus, of course, you are selling the cleaner. Then you know, go ahead and just leave. You know, let it drip all over the place. It'll be fine. <laughs> I did notice that you guys actually do uh, sell the cleaner. Um, I just kind of poking around on your website here. Uh, you guys have a division that's doing uh, parts washing and solvent recovery systems. Do you guys have any experience with that, or we just... Yeah, yeah. what we do there is uh, we manufacture and sell distillation units. Anybody uses solvent ink, I'd say 50% of the printers that use solvent ink, they have to tote these solvents off, okay? It's extremely expensive. So what you do is you go in and you buy a distillation unit. We come in and we install the unit, we hook everything up. Typically within a year, your ROI is done, okay? Anything after that is money in the bank, you know? So, so really it's all about, what do we do with our dirty solvents? Well, we have to ship them out. We tote them up, a truck comes right. in, we ship them out, it costs a lot of money. Call safety right. clean or something, yeah. and, and they, they send you a big bill at the end. That's right, yeah. <laughs> sure. A lot of times we team up with guys, you know, like the ink guys, like you guys, you know, when uh, sometimes we package it. you got a, a big account, it's worth a lot of money, it's worth a lot of money to us. We kind of work together and figure it out, make it happen. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. You guys are pretty dialed into the system, been in the industry a long time. What are you excited to see here at the Label Expo 2018? Have you guys ran into any new technologies that you find interesting? It's a, I love trade shows, and you know whether it's, it's fizzier, a great place, right? It is, and you know if I didn't come here, I wouldn't be speaking to you guys right now. So yeah. it's even when it's slow from a supplier standpoint, I like to network with co-suppliers. And again, this goes back to networking with common customers to get the job done right, get it done the first time. Um, other than that, I, you know, I like seeing innovation. I like seeing the technology that's available. It, it, but in many aspects of the, the printing process, what's old is what's new. Uh, you still need to get down to the basics. Sure. Uh, in terms of ink, I'm sure you still have to remind customers, measure pH, check viscosity. You know, even though they require much less maintenance than historically they used to, you still got to take care of them. Sure, you got to keep an eye on what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as printing presses, technology, anything like that? You know, I mean, it, just walking the floor. I mean, you were checking stuff out at all here? Sure. And for me, it's more about the people. But I, I like to be informed so that I can pass information on to my customers. Obviously, my, my focus is analog roles. But if I can help offer a customer information regarding another aspect of the process, or not just the information, but a person or a contact, a company, uh, I want to help do that. Uh, I want to be a, a valued and trusted resource to the customer beyond my specific products. Kind of pick up, kind of pick up where Dan left off there, just, just my input. So this is like my 25th Label Expo, right? And uh, if I had to give advice to anybody in this business, my advice would be this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, right. and, and, and when you sit down with an ink guy 
and an analyst guy and a Dr. Blake guy, you really need to get to know that guy because it's the people that you form alliances with that have become your best self. Sure. And I can tell you, I'm a huge advocate, or Dan mentioned this, of networking. And and it's it's really key. So so all the press manufacturers that I visited, I, I made a point to go to all the press manufacturers and I knew a couple people from each one and they know me. And we network together. All the ink guys, I know them. We network together. Sure. All the plate guys, et cetera, et cetera. That's where that's where you benefit in the business. It's becoming friends and allies. That's the way it should work. Yeah, absolutely. I can't argue with that. All right, so gentlemen, before we take off today, um, why don't we tell the audience uh, how we can get a hold of uh, you gentlemen at Detweiler? My name is Dan Foy. I'm the technical product manager for the Analox Roll division at Detweiler. We're representing Zecker Analox Rolls from Germany. And you can reach me at dfoy at detweiler.com. All right, so that's uh, so that to get a hold of Dan, uh, Dan's mobile number one seven zero four three five nine seven six six nine. Again, that's seven zero four three five nine seven six six nine. So that's Dan Foy, and he's your analog guy. And my name's Bobby Fur. I'm the Flexo Services Manager with Dadwaller. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can contact me at or email me at bfur at datwaller.com. Cell number is the best way to get a hold of me at seven zero four three zero seven. 3844. That's right. And absolutely, you guys, don't worry about it. You can hit DetwellerUSA.com. So that's D-A-E-T-W-Y-L-E-R-USA.com. If you want to get a hold of these gentlemen, a uh, lot of industry experience here, and I recommend that you do that. Uh, so, Dan, Bobby, I greatly appreciate you sitting down with us today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your uh, Label Expo experience. And, you know, we hope you come back and join us again, or maybe we could do some work together in the future. Thank you for the opportunity. It's uh, it's good to be here, and things like this are innovative. They're informative, uh, both for me and for printers. Uh, Interactive Inks is doing a great thing here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. All right, gentlemen.